On March 21, 1960, Zacchaeus Maysiels joined 3,000 other black South Africans to protest one of the most hated restrictions against the nation's black majority, passbooks, which controlled their every movement. Lydia Mahabuke remembers. Even if you had a visitor in your house, she said, you'd have to report them to the police station. They would tell you how long your visitor could stay. Sharpville's residents gathered peacefully in front of the police station without those passbooks. Their objective, to be arrested. But police opened fire, shooting protesters in the back as they ran for their lives. The Sharpville massacre also touched off three decades of protest in South Africa, ultimately leading to freedom for Nelson Mandela after 27 years in prison. Our loyalty is not to South Africa, it's to South Africans. And the South Africans are majority black, and they are being excoriated. It is not to some stupid puppet government over there. It is not to the Afrikaners regime. We have no loyalty to them. We have no loyalty to South Africa, to South Africans. A senator of the United States calling for violence. I'm not calling That's for violence. That's what you're doing. I hate that is to hear, exactly what you're I doing. I hate to hear an administration and a secretary of state refusing to act on a morally abhorrent point. I hate to hear this country. I'm ashamed that this country puts out a policy like this that says nothing, nothing. Welcome back to I Americanized, a podcast that explores a topic central to United States and how it influences the globe. I am your host Shafi Hussein, and today we're discussing America's influence over South Africa. We explore a brief history of colonization in South Africa and most importantly, why South Africa is story of hope for native tribes all around the globe. Joining me today is someone who was born in South Africa and now is one of the best New York City comedians, Sarah Tolemash. I've never had a dull conversation with Sarah and she truly is a gem. Check her weekly podcast called Vag and go check out her late night sets on YouTube. They're really brilliant and she also has a at-home film festival and you can find all those updates at her socials at stolemash s-t-o-l-l-e-m-a-c-h-e this is a really wonderful episode and i hope you enjoy the show today you didn't grow up in south africa correct no i didn't grow up in south africa but i was born there and i wasn't i was less than a year old and then my parents decided to get out. And uh, so they had several options. And then I think the one option business-wise, my dad uh, decided he had a business connection in Texas or Houston area. So that's why, but, or, or maybe even California. We were going to go to either one, but we ended up staying in Texas. And my dad's family is several generations. And then my mom's family moved to South Africa. They were like, they just moved there. She was eight when they moved there. My grandfather, her dad got a professorship mm. at the university in Johannesburg because he couldn't, it was hard to get a professorship in England at the time. And he really wanted one. And I think he was getting passed up for it. 
but I think there was too many. And so he found an opportunity in South Africa to go down there. So both my parents are actually regionally from the same area of England, Scotland, or like Ipswich. Hmm. I think I'm saying so, that right. Is it is it England or Scotland? Which no, one? I know it's different. Well, my grandfather is Scottish, but I guess like they're from like the same area because both my my mom's maiden name is Gourlay, and my my dad's last name is Talamash, and they're both like French influenced. So it's when the Normans raided Scotland. Hmm. What a fun story that is, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was the thing that. I don't know. A lot of people think it's weird. And I get this way too with a, a lot of places in the world. Uh, you, you're like, what are you talking about? I thought you guys were all the same. But even like places like England or you go to Wales, uh, you realize that even though it's just a, it just feels like a small island, it's uh, tons of tons of different family clans that identi don't identify with other people. And that's why I think it was like hard to govern for a long time. But you have all... Uh, it's just, I don't know. I forgot what I was getting to, but whatever. So, so your mom and dad are from the same place in this England, England Ipswich place, right? And yeah. And they move and they, but they meet in South Africa. Yeah. They meet in South Africa. Oh, wow. What a story that is. Are you going to write like a rom-com about that? Because that's fascinating. <laughs> I don't in think itself. it's like when they, you hear their story, they just, my mom um, was help. My dad was an accountant or a CPA at the firm he was working at, and then my mom was helping with bookkeeping, and that's how they met. My dad always said he liked my mom because she. Um, my mom's pretty. My, I didn't find my parents both to be pretty smart, and they like to debate and argue stuff, and not in a mm. mean way, but like critical thinking. And I think my dad really liked that about my mom. That's sweet. Yeah. And what what year is this? Like, give me a timeline of when your. I'm gonna say 1969, because their courtship was pretty uh, short compared to how people date now. But I think that was the norm back then. I think it was around a year. I haven't heard the word courtship in so long. That's brilliant. Isn't it? <laughs> but it's cute though. I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's so good. It's so British. You know. <laughs> well. Doesn't it just feel like courtship? It's more of a... It's very classy. It's a classier way of saying dating. You date, you don't really like consummate it. It's just like, is this going to work out business-wise? And then if it does, yeah. Right, we'll, we'll merge. We'll do an uh, accusation. Yeah. <laughs> um, when did your uh, grand grandpa move to South Africa? Because that's, that's the start. Yeah, that's the start, I'm assuming, from that line. And then... God, you know what? This is where I'm so bad with family history, and I don't <laughs> know why it happened. But there is... I think they were around one of the like first English settlements. Oh, wow. So, like, like 1910? Because that's when yeah. the Union of South Africa started. Yes. Okay. That sounds about right. Yeah. And what did he, what did he teach? What am I... Uh, well, that's my on my dad's side. I'm, I didn't, um, my grandfather's side... Yeah, they moved there when my mom was eight. So probably in the six nineteen fifty eight is when they moved to South Africa on my, okay. mom, on my mom's side. And then my grandfather moved there first, and then my mom and her mom and her brother uh, arrived on ship. Isn't that so cool? <laughs> like old school 
You know what I mean? Like, no, you don't hear anybody arriving by ship anymore. I don't know what his professorship was. It may have been in philosophy. You have a, you have, you have a lot of follow up to do with your with your mom uh, tonight when you talk to her. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I should ask her. Let me. I should write these down. <laughs> um. So, like, I guess. So, you're born in South Africa, and then when did you move to Texas? Um, seventy nine. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So was there a logical reasoning before why your parents decided to move or is it just because business connections? Um well, they wanted to get out and I think a lot of uh South Africans or probably white South Africans had wanted to get out for a long time. I think they were seeing that the country was changing. I what I gather from what I've heard or just hearing from family side and some stuff that I've read in other areas like Botswana and Rhodesia, uh, it sounds like a D, what I would call a degentrification. Because it was taken, it was just like Dutch settlement and English settlement, and then kind of like overtaken. And then all these tribes in South Africa had to kind of catch up to the how like advanced. This is this is why it's hard for me to talk about this because then you just feel like I don't I'm only getting my history from one side. You know what I mean? You think you're getting it from one side? Yeah. So I never know if I'm having like a biased history about this, but What 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 do you think that history is? What what is a biased history? Biased history like I'm hearing it from the white perspective and not like say like a Zulu perspective. What is that perspective? A white perspective? A colonization. So like to just say, let's just say, is it, it sounds weird for me to say, uh, so like by the time like the Dutch settlement and English settlement came in, it's not that I was saying that they were far advanced maybe, but they had like maps and technology a little bit maybe further or like what other civilizations in South Africa had to catch up to. Yeah. And so I think it was it what you would con like, it was like a gentrification, but in a more violent and oppressive way. Well, that's how any colonization starts. You have better uh, weapons, and you show up, and then they're like, "Oh, we d we don't we don't know what to do with this. Yeah, <laughs> like you we, have too we many just, weapons." Yeah, we were just nomadic yeah. people, happy living yeah. the life that we were living under. You know, our culture and ever there was. I mean, it's not. We're just, just one group out. of people in South Africa at the time. There were uh, like several, lots of different tribes of um, Africans that were right. settled around there. Yeah, there were a lot of Indian slaves there too, like yeah. from South Asia, uh, who went, um, and that was the Zulu tribe as well. So when you're growing up, what kind of s stories, I guess, you have heard in passing or had an interest in learning about how um, South Africa came to be or the relationship america has with south africa um i don't know too much about the relationship that america has with south africa uh but this is what from talking to my mom growing up and like uh you hear how oppressive even for white culture it could be with having a regime that's like t apartheid of like it's really hard to separate stuff. And it's really, uh, 
really into your personal life. And it's sense it's a lot of censorship as well. Like I remember my mom telling me like they couldn't see certain movies that never came down or pop um, you know, pop stars and stuff like that. Uh and so like I remember her telling me one story at a party. Uh people would find out who you were dating. So there was quite a bit of interracial dating. And that wasn't allowed. And spicy, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting and then you hear stories of uh terms of like people actually from what i gather you could if you were a very light-skinned black you could if you if white people identified you as white you could maintain the privileges that white people had in south africa and i've also heard terms of like this one's a really weird one because it's it's can be offensive here, but the term coloreds in South Africa means mixed race. And yeah, so you can have uh, two very light skin, and this has happened, there was like some controversial stories about this one. You can have two very light skinned black people have a child, or like not black people, two light skinned white black people, but you can have um, be considered white and be. Um, but have a lineage of some black in you. And if you also uh, have a relation or like procreate with someone that's with the same kind of background that you do, you can actually have like a darker skinned baby. And then that was controversial too. Mm. Controversial in the sense. I don't remember that. why, but I remember because it was like insinuated. <laughs> Wait, we have affair. a we have a darker skinned baby. Let's give it up. Like yeah, it's not like that, shit. but like because you were considered white and now you have a dark skinned baby. Right. Then right. they found out. They found out who I really am. <laughs> no. Well, then that baby <laughs> has like not as many rights as say the parents do, and that ends up being an awkward thing. That's why like government that's so like that or in your life like that it's really hard to govern and it's fucked up right and i don't understand how like it takes i feel like so much resources to separate group of people like every you time you know yeah you know every time you go to like do I, at least me when i'm like trying to do my laundry and i'm like i'll do i'll separate my colors and I, i'm like nah it's too much work let's put it in yeah. let them have fun <laughs> i don't have time to do this no it's so much it's so much effort. It's fucked up. I that's why. And then also you have people spying and then throwing people under the bus for other reasons, ulterior motives. And that's how sometimes I kind of can see the woke movement. Mm, but you have people spying that's creating jobs. Yeah, no, that's okay. true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your parents like did they talk about the 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 regime at the time which was the national party right which was creating all these laws since 48 and how that impacted their life did they leave south africa mostly because they didn't support uh the kind of laws that are put in place or because you know america is just this you know beacon of hope where people want to move to um well, there's a lot. I, I think there's a lot to play the, uh, the reason why my parents moved here. First of all, it wasn't they they disagree with the whole, the whole uh, you know, the apartheid thing, obviously. Oh, they do. Yeah, That's good they're not. Uh, <laughs> they're not Afrikaners. <laughs> like, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I feel like that 
the category of people that are like in that mindset or like political beliefs. But there was also, there were other things like, so there's a lot of romanticism about America. I think, I, I think you see a uh, land of opportunity. I also, there's, um, South Africa also started becoming very violent. My parents, it's, this is the part that's like funny to me and weird. So I remember them saying that uh, they didn't want to live in a society where all their friends felt like they needed to have guns to protect their homes and stuff like that and crime. And so then they moved to Texas where you're just like, that's such a, you know, everybody has a gun in Texas. How many days did you spend in South Africa? Days? <laughs> what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, because you're, you're born there and then you moved. Oh, I was there for several months. Oh, um, okay. What's your first memory of this? <laughs> oh, I, well, I went to go visit there in 91, which felt like I was so detached from it. But now that I'm like way older and realize that 10 years is not like, or 11, it's not a huge time difference. You know, like you could, my parents could go back. Like I remember I got really sick when I got, went to visit there. I, we went back to, I had to go to the doctor. and My mom just decided to go to the pediatrician that I went to when I was first born and he didn't even know that we moved. So, Cause like they don't have, they don't have like, yeah, annual physical in South Africa. They don't have like, oh, that's annual physical visits where they're like, yeah, you came after 10 years. It's fine. I, we'll, well, I guess we'll, they well. just figured we went to a different part or like something happened. They didn't know that we had uh, moved to America, but when we were there, um, I remember, yeah, it was in 91. I really liked it countries, like as a country, like it's really pretty. And I, it was uh, fascinating. I got to see a lot of cool stuff. Like I went to Natal and I saw this, one of the main Zulu war sites where they won that. We love that movie mm. <laughs> against the English war or our army or whatever. There's a, cause it's one of the largest battles won by a, a tribal or a group, uh, like a tribe against like right. a British colonization. Like an empire. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. It really is. Because I think they were, um, the Brits felt like they had such an upper hand, but it was like Shaka Zulu was actually a really good um general meaning like war tactic and figured out how to use the land to his advantage yeah it's like whenever i get in a fight with my nephew i don't expect him to win but then he starts biting me i'm like you figured it out yeah I'm like i give up <laughs> well i guess there was there's a we've watched that movie with michael kane it was on in our house all the time and i'm surprised i feel like it should be remade because it's a really cool story the South Africa story itself is just ridiculously important. Um, and you're saying, you know, oh, by the way, like from for someone who's from South Africa, you don't really have an accent, which is good. You did good. Yeah. Uh, well, don't they say you get your accents from your friends? Do you? Yeah. But you don't have a te Texas accent either. Well, I say y'all. Oh, do you? This is the first time I'm hearing it. <laughs> well, because you're only one person. But if I have to address a large group of people, or a lot of times in my email, it's just like a really great salutation. Because instead of saying you guys, it's just like a nice way of being like, y'all. Yeah, it's great. I feel like it's like uh, the sound. It's a good sounding word, too. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's just nice. 
Um, so your parents moved, you think, because they didn't like the regime at the time? Yeah, and I think like they felt like, uh, I guess the like white population was just going to get pushed out anyway. I, and you hear about that. There's like controversial stuff, like even, and I think there's a lot of farming in Rhodesia. And you in Botswana, and you hear it's a lot of white farmers. And there's talks about, I mean, that land was taken away from a lot of the like black population from there. And so there's is there's talks about giving those farms back. Right. Well the entire country was taking from yeah. the black black people. No, exactly. But you know, like and I it's weird because there's several generations of white farmers. So then you're like, it feels like it's theirs, but then when you are like, but when you get down to the bottom of it, it wasn't really yours to begin with. Like it was right. taken out of like aggression. Of course. Yeah. Like, you know, you have so many. So it was the Portuguese that came in the 1400s. Then you have the uh, Dutch East India Company. It, they did the same thing like they did in South Asia. It's so similar. Yeah. It's hilarious. Like that, that company comes first and then they lose to the English. The same thing happened in South Asia. And then you have, you know, the 1948 when you have the election where you start all the new laws of segregation. Um, yeah, it's and weird. So, it's, I mean, it's crazy. Did you visit South Africa only in 91 or did you go back? We I only visited in 91. My mom went back several times because her uh, parents still, and uncle or brother uh, still live there. But my dad's side of the family, all of them, most of them have immigrated to Australia. Oh, wow. So they just choose a different commonwealth. Yeah. they uh, and We love I the queen. We want to be part of the queen. Yeah. <laughs> well, in a weird way, and I sometimes think this with my mom, I actually think she regrets coming to the States. Only because uh, most of our family moved to Australia, and I think she would have liked to have been around more like cousins and aunts and uncles for us, because like we're just, we're like the only Talamashes here. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful though, right? It is. But at the same time, like when people have our friends with their cousins and like go over and have like large family, we never had that. And I don't know if I'd like that now, but if I was grown, born into it, then I probably would have just been used to it. But the other reason is culturally, I think my mom relates to more of an English culture than an American culture. What does that mean? So I'll go just on basics on the superficial level. Like, I don't know, having tea in the afternoon. I, it sounds weird, but there's a different mindset, I think, with English or Commonwealth than there is with Americans. And I, I don't know how to explain it. No, every time I'm having tea in the afternoon, I'm like, oh, my God, the queen got to me. Yeah. You know? I'm like <laughs> sipping tea. I'm like, oh, this is the queen's fault. I Well, I think my mom are like, I and I kind of have this perspective of like, we can actually, sometimes we'll say, be like, oh, that's so American. And I, the way that I guess I can explain it is like, there's like a maverick style or like an independence or like a freedom. You guys like freedom more. Is that what you mean? No, I don't. 
how can I say it? I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just different. Your mom likes John Oliver more than Stephen Colbert. That'll explain it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she she definitely finds Eng- like she's still. I would consider her if she was in English, she would be a, a an Anglophile. She loves BBC. For birthdays, we get her tons of English programming stuff, like DVDs of old English like shows, like Lovejoy. <laughs> Imagine if you did move to Australia, you would you'd be hanging out with Ronnie Chang and doing comedy there. And then you'd yeah. move, you guys would move together. Although I've, I've when I go to Australia, like see Australians stand up, I'm sorry, but I feel like even I, I like even some English stand up, but I still think America is the best when it comes to stand up. Oh, hundred percent. It's an American art form. It really, it is. I don't. And like, I know the Brits think they discovered satire or sarcasm, but I actually think we're really good at it here. Although a lot, this is the thing. My dad would always say that Americans don't understand sarcasm. Right. No, the Brits definitely have, you know, maybe a better grasp of sarcasm, but that's like the lowest form of comedy. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's like a studiousness where I feel like here it's like, anybody can be a comic and that's so great and all of them are really good it's like it's also like a working class thing so i guess like now i'd like to pivot towards the laws and implementation of those laws um how much i guess your parents or maybe you also learned about you know how america shaped how the oppressive regime in south africa kind of had to stop and what history do you know of um of 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 that happening i guess well i i mean i don't really i don't know the part that america played in and like if you could explain to me maybe i could put some fill in some okay so, what so, I know. So, so from from what i looked up um what i've learned is um, you know, you have you have the the regime that started in 1948, and you have this like segregation laws. They, did you know about the pass laws? Like you needed like a passport for anyone who was traveling to pe- places where only the white people can live. Like you needed to have a pass to even go in if you're not white. Uh, that sounds about right. I think I've heard stories like that. Yeah, so they had the pass laws, and initially, obviously, you know that was um, there was a lot of protests, and there was a massacre um, in 1960. Um, I think at a place called Sharpville, um, and that's kind of the start of all the movements that kind of propagated towards uh, you know all around the globe. Uh, given that you just you know had this you know World War II end, and you're trying to move towards a progressive um, society throughout, so the UN kind of started like you know implementing uh, arms embargo which is just like not giving them a lot of weapons yeah and so that's when the south african government went to israel and got um uh, arms from them because no one else would so the the israel and south africa story is very parallel in the sense of you know like you have jew um not jewish people but the israeli government itself you know, is taking over 
um, Palestinian land slowly, like the annexation that's going on. So if you see the movement of those two things, like the U.S. has a huge part that they played in in um, using sanctions. So the U.S. there was in nineteen, I believe. Um, 1986, um, they wanted to have sanctions in the 60s, but it never really went through. But there were like smaller sections of the sanctions that were applied. But in 1986, the Reagan administration, Congress finally passed an anti-apartheid um, comprehensive sanction plan where they wouldn't do any new trades. And that obviously impacted the South African um, economy. Oh, no. I mean, that, that all makes sense. Yeah, so it's it's it it comes down to like a lot of you know a uh, lot of discussion around around what is going on that's wrong because like you know um, the U.S. was going towards more of a progressive policies with the sixty five you know immigration policies that were being changed and also you know the Jim Crow era was you know a, a sad um, barbaric. Um, part of the u.s history so they had to learn from that obviously and then they were doing business with this country and the u.s and south africa were always great trading partners um because u.s steel needed chromium which is a mineral mined in south africa so they were like very good trading partners and uh u.s had uh, uh nasa uh base in south africa where they were using it to like you know Con- conduct research whatever they were doing but they also had to implement segregation policy in their u.s base because you know they're in south africa yeah and that kind of ha- that kind of uh, faced a lot of backlash in the u.s yeah right and so that so that happened and then a lot of students and across the u.s in different universities wanted to divest um, their uh, wanted their universities and you know the corporations around to divest investing in South Africa until they stop this re, uh, this kind of policies towards minorities and blacks, and which you can see now there are some movements where they're trying to do the same thing with Israel to so that they can stop annexation, but people outright criticize that policy because it's somehow anti-Semitic. It's not like they're saying divest from Jewish people. They're saying the government is annexing land illegally. Yeah. But that movement always gets halted because of the uh, because of the phrase anti being anti semitic which no one wants, right? Obviously. No, for I saw reasons. that recently in New York because I think there was a a little bit of a spike in the Hasidic population, and they were talking about like uh, shutting things down like locally or blocking it off and then i think it got compared to like the gestapo or like imprisonment like the jews had to deal with and you're like i think it's a little bit different but i understand the parallel <laughs> i i think i think it's very different but that's the thing that you have this one tragedy that can overshadows every conversation you'll ever have yeah it's uncomfortable too and you don't want it it's very uncomfortable yeah yeah a general safety for everybody i guess like encroaching on other people's rights or health it's i mean when that's the thing like all of this stuff is so difficult because it's all entwined and once you have one solution but then it can create a whole bunch of other problems for one example i guess 
as a lot of right now people were like, or at, at least in the beginning of the pandemic, people were like, why can't they just freeze the rent? And you're like, well, that is a solution for renters, but landlords are technically also renters because they have a mortgage to pay. A lot of them do. So if they are not paying, if they're not getting money, then the bank's not getting money, and then they're going to lose their place. too. And then everybody's out of it. And then also, there was, my friend explained it, and I wrote it down, but it's on my phone, and I don't have my phone, but it has something to do with CDOs and insurance bundles of if we did a mortgage freeze and it would cause a 2008 collapse and way more jobs that are lost. And that it's probably just easier to give the people that need money just to give them money rather than a mortgage freeze. Right, because you just want to keep supplying the economy, which yeah. makes sense. And even that has yeah, that's problems what, too, yeah. probably. You can't just print money without a backing. Well, yeah, you'll just be more in debt. The government will just be more in, you know, the, surp the surplus, 23 trillion. We're at 23 trillion. We'll be at 24 yeah. trillion. Who cares? I guess you're <laughs> like, we'll, we'll cross that bridge later, but this is a, a thing to deal with now. But yeah, I feel like that is probably one example of like, I don't know, helping out. And then as you said, like, we're talking about sanctions. I'm sure it's a thing that like you're trying to... uh put a little bit of pressure on a certain government, but then you kind of screw over a lot of people. Like, didn't Cuba kind of have the same thing with their sanctions? Well, yeah, so that's the, the you know, counter-argument of any sanction is that, oh, maybe if we do do this, then the economy is going to suffer and the people you're trying to free are going to suffer, right? So there's the counter-argument because, you know, people who are, you know, usually trying to be a activist usually have like a good um trust fund so they're like yeah they're like yeah we'll, we'll just go out there and you know like t try to free our people but they're like you know have a smoothie at hand it's like <laughs> they're like they're having a yeah, good time we're like there's um, so much stuff that goes in, like say like the sanctions for cuba and then and then all of a sudden the u.s just gets hit with a lot of cuban refugees and then they the like illegal immigration and stuff like that but then you're like wait but you guys created that right there's just yeah it's it's obviously like a very tricky situation yeah. um but i feel like you know when when it comes to the policies at least they could have um i think it's a good and it doesn't even make sense to have like a policies like that because i feel like it just impacts your economy more like why would you want to just have segregation like that and not have your people like do better yes for the entire economy absolutely oh yeah like that's what you know earlier talking about like when you're doing segregation that's so much work it's just and then that's the other thing too like i get when people are um get mad about immig like immigration here in the u.s uh, i was like a lot of times when a new like a, a big surge of people come in can also create a new kind of economy which is also good. Well, yeah, like if you look at, it's just like talk about South African inventors, Elon Musk is South African. Yeah. And look at the kind of impact he has in this country. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think it's ridiculous. Like he is changing America. Like every day he wakes up and he's like, I'm going to invent this. And he's like, oh yeah, I have it. Yeah, and he has the already. resources to do all of it. 
Yeah. Right, because South Africans are, you know, he's, and then Trevor Noah, like you, you look at, you know, TV every night, and you're like, oh, there's the South African uh, talking to us about our politics. It's pretty good, yeah. I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So you, you, you will, you will create uh, different dynamics when you just give opportunities to everyone. When you went back in 91, you didn't really realize the changes that took place from, you know, because 91 is kind of the start because the president at the time the, the from the regime had died and then they had a new president who was like, oh, let's end all of this. And then 94 is when they had the free elections when Mandela won. So in 91, when you went back, you didn't really feel a difference, I guess. No, not really. I think partly because... uh. I was in, wait, I was in rich South Africa. So do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a gated community. I, it wasn't like they were, they were fine at that moment. Like you, you, you lived in a place where they had like brunch yeah, in South there Africa. brunch there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Even at, when you're 10, you're like, let's go get some mimosas, mama. <laughs> yeah. So that, I think, you know, the biggest influence uh, America has had on South Africa was the kind of sanctions and they kind of like spearheaded the campaign to kind of end the laws and they succeeded which is amazing to think about like if America really does want to change something they go ahead and do it and, and how do you like does your mom talk about any of this at all or um it pops up every now and then but that not so much um I usually just hear more about personal stories rather than, uh, you know, like I'll, and then I'll hear some of the political stuff through the personal stories. Like my mom just like, you know, helping at a dinner party for my parents, you know, helping serve hors d'oeuvres and then just like overhearing conversation about like who got busted having a relationship. Yeah. Oh, wow. So like family gossip, but... Yeah, just hearing like political stuff through that. Um, but uh, in the scheme of things, no. All I heard about is a lot of carjackings and that it got very... Downtown Johannesburg was... Uh, it used to be a place like thriving. You could walk around and shop and then it got very dangerous. Um, and then uh, just that also... To go from one kind of government to the next kind was also a, it's everything's a transition and it can get kind of messy. And I think I also heard several stuff of like also like some corruption. Mainly, I heard about uh, Winnie Mandela, too, was another one. I think she got in trouble. That's another one that I overheard. Yeah, that's I love I love you. Like you're like a like a high school gossip yeah. girl. You're like, oh, I, I overheard this corruption thing that <laughs> happened. <laughs> but like with uh, with the government, it's like way yeah. bigger. Like I grew up in Bangladesh, so it's like so cricket was huge. And I grew up watching South African cricket team. They're one of the best cricket teams in the world. But they became best after segregation ended because they had more uh, black athletes playing for the team. And they were dominating. They were dominating. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, it's like... Of course. Why wouldn't you let them play for your team? They're so good. Isn't that fascinating? That's like, you're like, yeah, why are you guys doing segregation? You could have like shining moments in the Olympics and have like this national pride 
Mm. And the Olympics itself was uh, also another um, organization that kind of um, talked against segregation because the South African black athletes weren't allowed to participate at all. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and so they didn't have any gold medals. <laughs> so but it's course. usually stuff like that that gets the ball rolling. It sheds a light on stuff. Like the, the, the Black Fist yeah. in the Olympics in the U.S., uh, which was like another another movement um the civil rights era in in the 60s i know that's why i get so annoyed when people would get upset about like the colin kaepernick kaepernick protest i know i'm like it's always been a thing in the u.s like athletes have always used their platform to speak against uh oppressive uh movement of like you know laws or yeah yeah and uh and it's their duty to do it too like you don't want to be only an athlete if you believe in something you should speak out against it. yeah especially because you have the opportunity it's just like insane and also you're like how cool is it they're on the right side of history and you're complaining about it and then you're also i don't know i'm like and then you get mad if people uh riot and loot so but then you have a guy doing a peaceful protest on a field and you're also upset and that I've heard that as a quote as that's also that's a sign of oppression. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um like you know Muhammad Ali was also like one of the greatest boxers of all time. He refused to go to Vietnam and because he didn't want to, you know, he wanted peace and that was all, like he used his platform to speak out, uh, out against that. Um he's like why should why should I fight for you guys when I'm not, you know, treated equally in this country? Exactly. So it's like I don't know. Those those moments are good to have. Oh, for sure. It's like uh, it's it's historic every time that happens. But what the funny part is, Nelson Mandela was labeled as a terrorist by the U.S. organization because he was, you know, doing resistance movement um, in South Africa against the regime. So that's a very good example of what happens across the globe, right? Whenever you have the smaller uh, tribal na- uh, you know, natives. Um, and they try to speak out. They just get labeled as terrorists, but they're just seeking here. their own land. Yeah, it, it happened here. It's happening here. It happened in, um, you know, Palestine, Israel, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. Everywhere you look at, it's like, yeah, of course they're gonna fight against you guys because you're t- stealing their land and occupying their land. Yeah. But so it's a South Africa is a good example because they actually reversed all of that and got what they wanted. Other countries haven't. So that's why I think South Africa is a good learning lesson for everyone in the world. It's like when you apply the right kind of pressure and have the right intentions, you can succeed. And that's what they did. That's true. Do you also think it's because South Africa has like a lot of amazing resources? Oh, for sure. Because you want like, like I said, the chromium thing. Yeah. Um, you can have so an economy. Like, so that makes it easier to have get people jobs and right. Right. Yeah. And and the and the U.S. steel um, is very reliant on chromium, which is a natural resource in South Africa. So, um, you know, it's always a good thing when you have. Stuff like that because you'll be good trading partners. Yeah, it's a mutual symbiotic relationship. It's a, it's a it's a courtship. Yeah, it's a it's mutual a courtship. <laughs> what are your I guess predictions in the next one hundred years about how 
you know, South Africa and American relationship will shape up to be if you had to predict or how, like, you know, based on South Africa's um, plot, like changes that you have seen, what are your predictions that might Im- impact the globe around us? I have no idea. I think there'll be like a country that you'll want to visit. I think it's already a country I want to visit. It's super pretty. I still, I follow some accounts like TikTokers that are still, are that live down there and you're like, God, it looks amazing. And then one time I took an online survey and, uh, of like what city you should probably live in. And they gave me Cape Town, which I thought was every, everyone gets that. Like I did that survey. (laughs) I got Cape Town. I'm like, how did I get Cape Town? I didn't even answer anything related to South Africa. Yeah. But it, it's like, I don't know. I feel like, uh, it'll slowly become the country that it was like meant to be. Because, because, like you know, if you believe in you know the science of evolution and stuff, all of us came out of Africa, and South Africa was one of the earlier sites where they had a lot of fossils of Australopithecus and Homo hominins, um, and hominids. Yeah, I love those names; <laughs> they're so fun to say. <laughs> uh, so they're like our motherland for every one of us, which is uh, insane. Um, so they should have like a, a birthright for everyone. <laughs> like, come over, you're human. Yeah, yeah. Visit us. That'd be fun. I'll that go. would be fun. Uh, no, you know what is like also really crazy about South Africa that I remember speaking of? I also think there's quite a bit more art that's coming out of there, which is always like a great sign. Oh, of course. Yeah. What kind of art? The one behind you? Yeah, that one. No, I, uh, well, a lot of movies get filmed there. It's very similar, like California. It's got different kinds of um, landmass that you can use for backdrops. It's got cities and all that stuff. Um, they have music scene. Uh, then also their comedy scene has been picking up, it seems like, quite a bit. Yeah, after you have like ambassador like Trevor Noah, I think, you know, they're like, we all can be Trevor Noah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, <laughs> that feeling. There, there's hope for us. To get seen and stuff. Um, where can the fans find you? What What are the projects you're working on? What should we look up? Um, follow me on Instagram because I want more followers. Although I've heard everyone's really upset that they just changed their algorithm. Um, I only know that from TikTok. Uh, I love TikTok. I really, really. I love, I love your TikTok videos. They're so fun. They're well. It's here's why. It's a, it's a more demographic or a more democratic algorithm than Instagram. I feel like everybody has an opportunity. They might change it, but it's nice to know that you could come from nowhere and get a following. Um, But I still like Instagram. Um, And oh, uh. That's it. I, well, at home film festival, if you guys ever get a chance, it's once a month. You, I, it's always on my Twitter or Instagram. So it's a short film festival. All right. All right. Bye, Shavi. <laughs> bye. <laughs>that is the end of our show today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the podcast, subscribe on spotify leave itunes review everything helps if you have feedback on the podcast you can write me on social media as shafi stands up thank you so much for tuning in